Welcome to the Best Work Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Henley-Smith. The goal of this show is to uncover the personal stories of successful software engineers, founders, thinkers and leaders who are all navigating their own working journey. Finding our best work is often this hidden journey, uncovered through an ongoing conversation with ourselves and the world around us. Every one of these episodes is packed, full of timeless ideas you could apply to your own life. In this conversation, I speak to Yevgeny Shajnev, founder and former CEO of Makers Academy, and now a founder coach. In fact, my coach. Given this relationship between Evgeny and myself, this episode is the longest, and in many respects, the most introspective to date. The experience of almost inverting our roles, with Evgeny playing the participant and myself the facilitator, was an educational one for both of us, especially given the depth and complexity of experiences Evgeny has to draw upon. Evgeny discusses how his own personal identity and cultural upbringing have shaped his approach to work and the challenges and blockers he's faced when realising it was time to step down as CEO of Makers Academy. He broaches the subject of reconciling our personal needs with the decisions we make in working contexts, as well as discussing the importance and benefits of cultivating the art of slowing down. We talk about how extrinsic motivations and expectations, as well as the harsh realities of the imperfect world in which we live, affect our work, and why embracing negative experiences and going against the grain can help us grow and realise our most fulfilling work. When in your working life have you felt furthest away from your best work i think i felt furthest away from my from doing my best work uh, at an inter uh, at an internship uh, at the university i was an intern at a uh, railway uh, company and uh, one thing i remember from that time is that everyone went to the office on time at eight o'clock sharp, left at five o'clock on the dot. Uh, the same with the lunch break. I don't remember, maybe 12 to uh, twelve to one. And in between, everyone pretended really, really hard to uh, look useful and productive. And a few days or weeks into this environment, I realized that the way it looks from the outside and what actually happens day to day in terms of work done are two completely divorced uh, realities. And uh, I remember it was uh, it was quite uh, it was both funny and a little bit strange. But to answer your question, I also realized maybe for the first time in my life that there is something about this place that tells me. Uh, that I don't belong here in some kind of a fundamental way. And I will never be able to fit in, be one of them, make a career or to somehow be uh, be satisfied. It's almost, as you say that, it sounds like the first experience of existential angst in some way, uh, like in a, in a uh, controlled way. 
how how has that existential questioning accelerated since? I think throughout my life, work has been central to my identity, to how I think about myself, how I feel about myself. And I know it is true to to a significant extent for everyone. Uh, well, actually, not everyone. This question makes me think that, for example, my parents were quite different in this regard. For my father, uh, work was central in his life. For my mother, family was central in her life. And of course, both of them worked and both of them had a family. But the priorities were uh, were different. But for me, work um, uh, occupied a central place in how I see myself in the world and how I fit in, uh, interact with others, think about myself and my own growth. And so my journey to figure out what is it that I do? Why do I do it? How do I do it? Who do I work with? Where it's all going? It's It meant that work has always been far more than just a means to pay the bills. It's interesting that you followed your father's kind of definition there rather than your mother's. Of course, I'm like... I'm like both of them in different ways. But when it comes to work, I I think I inherited uh, both... Uh, I, I was about to say uh, workaholism. Is, is there such a word? Basically, how do you call people who are uh, workaholics? Um, uh, from, my, uh, from my father, but also... But also Looking back, I think both my father and I uh, also use work as a means to escape from uh, other areas of um, of life. As in just uh, mm. as a way to to avoid what might be difficult in uh, in uh, maybe in the. Uh, 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 social or personal or uh, somewhere else and focus on work because it's mm. it's kind of a socially acceptable and a well-paid uh, way to uh, to avoid doing something else. <laughs> Better than a lot of other things I can imagine. Do you see that as positive or negative or 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 both? It's uh, it's certainly both. Work, work shaped, uh, shaped and continues uh, uh, to shape me as a uh, as a person to a significant uh, degree, and it's been a source of incredible personal and professional growth. Uh, well, professional, obviously, because it's work, but also on a personal level, uh, the work that I choose to do and how I choose to do it uh, forces me to grow as a person, uh, and uh, I'm uh, uh, very, very uh, grateful for that. Uh, at the same time, I do sometimes, I do sometimes wonder uh, to what extent, to what extent work is central to uh, central uh, to my life. For example, it's far easier for me to do work and do something uh, productive and exciting work-wise than to have fun just for the sake of having fun. 
just like kids have fun when they go and play for the sake of playing. Uh, and um, and I know that uh, for other people it's um, uh, it's uh, different. Whilst parents can shape our views of work, so can our geography and our place of birth. How has being born in Russia influenced what you've chosen to do? So there are different. There are going to be different uh, parts to uh, the answer to this question. So my first, the first part of my career was in uh, technology, and I studied computer science at university, and I worked as a software developer throughout my twenties, uh, and that was if. Uh, a safe and obvious choice that was perfectly aligned with uh, what living in Russia and growing up in uh, in Russia was telling me to do, what my parents expect me, expected me to do. Uh, for them and for me in my, uh, in my uh, late teens and early 20s, work was meant to be uh, interesting, hopefully well-paid, and uh, in an industry which is expected to grow. And technology ticked all, all those boxes. I, I was a geek when I was a, a kid. I loved hanging out with uh, computers. And uh, um, it, was, uh, it was an easy choice uh, to make. Um, with, uh, with entrepreneurship, uh, and now I'm talking about my 30s, the second part of my career, when I founded a business and uh, my career changed from technology to entrepreneurship. Um, I think that was the first moment when uh, the expectations of my culture and uh, what I wanted to do professionally started to diverge. By that point, I was uh, uh, living in London uh, for uh, the for several years, and uh, in Russia, few people, at least when I was, when I think of Russia, when I was growing up there in in the nineties and uh, early two thousands, in Russia, few people think about work as a or let alone entrepreneurship as a primary way to fulfill your dreams, and my parents. Uh, as the result, didn't really understand or support my choice. To them, it looked like I'm doing something risky, whereas I could have continued my fairly promising career as a software developer. And uh, later, when I, uh, in the last couple of years, when I shifted again and uh, uh, made a pivot to being a founder coach, uh, it even further divorced from uh, uh, the expectations of uh, my culture, my upbringing, and uh, uh, my parents. Because, frankly, I think that my parents suspect or think that what I'm doing for a living is borderline fraud. Uh, because I, I, <laughs> I, I tried many times, but I can't really... I, I genuinely struggle to explain... Uh, what I uh, what I do or why 
founders would pay me money for uh, for what I do or how it actually works from the inside. On top of this, there is uh, um, uh, on top of this uh, in. Uh, in Russia, to this uh, to this day, few people reach out to coaches, therapists, mentors, or anyone else for the sake of uh, uh, personal and uh, professional development. So I feel like the further I progress in my uh, career, or the more things I do, the uh, the further the furthest away I I am from the expectations of my culture, my parents, my bringing, um, my and in a way, what I expected even of myself as a as a child growing in growing up in Russia. How do you handle that, Evgeny? I'm extremely grateful that I had a chance to move from uh, Russia to London um, many years ago, because I don't think I I don't think I would be able to do what I love for a living and feel really aligned with it uh, if I um, if I stayed in uh, in Russia so it's almost the case that whilst your geography was a has had a big impact early in some ways by shifting your geography it, you can see the positive benefits of shifting your your geography too by putting yourself in the center of a place that gives you what you want in some way yes and and also moving uh to a country or a society and not 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 even not even london or the uk specifically but let's say the western culture in uh in general that uh is more aligned with uh, uh my own uh my own values in fact, this uh, this is the topic that uh, comes up in my conversations with my uh, uh, therapist on a regular basis, uh, specifically how um, uh, to what to what extent my um, identity and my life experience is shaped by me trying to fit into a society that I didn't quite fit into and as a child I didn't have any other society and I really wanted to be a part of it like any uh, any uh, kid does and it wasn't until uh, I became an adult that I felt that you no, know, something is just not doesn't work here which is a whole other conversation uh, because it will take us into uh, geopolitics uh, and uh, something doesn't work here and uh, moved, uh, moved to London such a large part of how we discover our best work is our ability to listen to our inclinations and the deepest pulls of our of our gut and our, our soul and, and our values and it strikes me that it must have been just that just that bit harder in your circumstance how did you develop the ability to listen to them I remember in uh, I remember in 2015 uh, a, uh, an executive coach uh, called Jerry Colonna gave me a book by Parker Palmer called Let Your Life Speak. It's a very short book uh, and it's a brilliant one. 
it's a real it's a brilliant book that I recommended to so many people uh, since. Uh, and the central premise is that before you tell your life what you want from it, you must listen to your life what it tells you about who you are and what you should do for a living. And this idea, this shift from choosing who I want to be, what values I want to have, what career I want to do, uh, shifting from that perspective um, of telling my life what I want to do with it to listening to my life, uh, what it wants to tell me based on what's already happened, what my experience is, what kind of work I have already done, was a really um, important shif uh, shift for me. And listening to you, and listening to my life eventually led me to realization that uh, I should step down as a uh, chief executive of the company that uh, I was running to focus on working with uh, uh, other founders uh, as a founder coach, purely because it's so much more aligned with who I am. Before we go into the experience of stepping down as a CEO, how did you listen to yourself there? Like, what? practices or processes did you come across that helped take you to that place? For me, my main practice uh, has been meditation. Uh, the practice of uh, slowing down, being more present and uh, observing my, my thoughts without uh, reacting to them. Um, to a less extent, uh, journaling. Journaling uh, is helpful, but I never had a consistent daily practice. And I know that many others do. Um, and, uh, and just uh, reflection on it, reflection on my own with my friends, with my uh, with my coaches, I worked with several coaches as a um, as a founder, and with all of them, the same question came up again and again: something is not quite right here. What's going on here? What can we find out or understand about it? And uh, uh, the combination of all of this—daily meditation, occasional journaling, discussions with uh, others—eventually um, led me to the realization that. Uh, um, I need to do something else and the company would be better served by, uh, by a different CEO. What happened next? There wasn't a single point. There wasn't a single line of before and after. Uh, I, uh, I remember I was uh, discussing this question with my um, uh, then chair, chair of the board. And... Um, on several occasions, we used to have um, uh, regular uh, regular breakfasts, uh, talking about my work as a CEO. And on many occasions, I was mentioning that this doesn't feel quite right, or I feel like there is a misalignment here, and um, I'm considering that maybe uh, the company would be led by uh, someone else uh, one day. So we're not doing anything about it, but the way we are exploring and discussing it uh, for uh, quite a bit. And eventually the day came when uh, when 
uh, with met for breakfast uh, as usual on uh, Friday morning, uh, and they said, uh, "Claudia, I think I I need to step down. Let's let's talk about what it means." Um, and then it, it took us over an hour, sorry, over a year, <laughs> over a year, not an hour. Uh, it took us over a year to actually uh, put it into uh, uh, into practice. Uh, and uh, uh, funny enough, what we didn't know back then uh, is that uh, uh, it was Claudia, my then chair, who then became uh, the next uh, CEO of Makers. Talk me through what parts of yourself were talking to each other there. Oh, that's <laughs> like, what were they saying? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, there are just just like literally everyone else, there are plenty of different parts of myself that are in constant conflict uh, with each other. Uh, there is there are identities of a the founder and entrepreneur and the meditator who just wants to meditate twenty four seven, and uh, the identities of uh, the partner or um, a son or um, an active member of uh, society, uh, uh, someone who just wants conventional success uh, in terms of let's just make as much money as possible and build a unicorn and someone who is absolutely not on board with all of this and just wants to do something really meaningful in the moment. And navigating all of this was... uh, um, challenging in a, in a couple of ways. Uh, one thing I particularly struggled with is the voice inside of me that told me that great CEOs don't quit. Uh, I remember uh, there is a there is a book called A Hard Thing About Hard Things uh, by Ben Horowitz. And somewhere in the middle, uh, he says, uh, what separates good CEOs from great CEOs is that great CEOs never quit, or something along these lines. And uh, for quite a long time, I was thinking to myself, but I can't quit. I'm a CEO. I want to do a good job, and therefore I can't quit. And uh, whenever I would talk talk about it to friends or coaches, uh, everyone, of course, challenged this assumption and said, no, come on, it's not as black and white. But for a while, uh, I uh, for a while I did... Uh, I did uh, struggle with it. And another um, internal conflict or another challenge that uh, that I had is a very arrogant, in a way, fear that I don't really know who else is going to lead this company. I care about it so much and I built it. And if I step down, is the company going to die? Is it the responsible thing? And the reason I say it's arrogant is because the hidden assumption here is that I'm the only person in the world capable of doing this job, which is not true, of course. And if anything, the new CEO leading the company right now is so much better than I am. Uh, and it's such a joy to know that someone else is leading uh, is leading the company in a uh, very, very uh, competent, uh, competent way. But a few years ago, it was not... It was not intuitively uh, obvious to me. And of course, the uh, catch-22 here is that unless I 
unless I accept that maybe there are other people who could do an even better job, I will not find those people because I will not even start uh, a conversation. Have those voices continued since? Have they have they whispered to you? And in what way? Yes, they continued, although the content uh, somewhat changed. Uh, it's... Uh, There is, uh, there is a voice uh, that I've noticed that is trying to tell me that uh, what I'm trying to do with my life being a founder coach is uh, wrong because I've, I've got, basically my career so far consists of two big parts, entrepreneurship and technology. I've got experience with uh, uh, technology and education in computer science and uh, I know how to uh, start a company. And in today's world, when everyone is starting businesses and there are so many opportunities, this combination of tech and entrepreneurship just feels like a golden ticket. Go and start start another tech company. I can come up with an idea, probably build a prototype, raise money, build a team, and so on. And there is a part of me which feels like I'm not um, putting all those skills to good use. But at the same time, uh, at the same time, if I take a step back and try to listen to all the voices in my in my head, uh, I also noticed that the work I'm doing today is much much more aligned to who I am deep inside than starting another company uh, would be. And this is not to say that I will never start another company. Who knows? I genuinely don't know. But for the moment, uh, what guides me uh, on my, in my professional journey is a sense of, am I doing good work for the right reasons? Am I doing it well? And here I'm quoting, and uh, uh, another thing I learned from uh, Jerry Colonna, the coach that I uh, mentioned earlier, uh, he always, uh, I remember he, uh, he said that, it's important that we do a you know, good job done well for the right reasons. Three things. It's important to do a good job, it's important to do it well, and it's important to do it for uh, the right reasons. And these three things uh, stayed me uh, ever since I, uh, I got to know him in 2015. It strikes me that the reasons beneath your decisions are changing or at least they have changed over time is that true absolutely because i've i've been changing my uh priorities quite a bit uh, for example if uh, we had this conversation maybe 10 years ago um i would tell you that the most important thing for me professionally is to build a successful company. And what I didn't know back then, or what I didn't really want, what I didn't want to know, maybe I knew it, but I didn't really want to know it, um, was that I felt like unless I build a successful company, I will not be okay somehow, that I needed a business card or a URL or some story to say that I'm okay because I've done that. And uh, since then, 
I learned that, first of all, building a successful company does absolutely nothing to the internal feeling of whether I'm okay or not. And the same applies to making money or uh, uh, nearly anything uh, external. Uh, but also that it's possible to feel okay, content, grounded, regardless of what I what I do professionally. And this, in turn, enabled me to do uh, to do a different kind of work. What are you optimizing for at those points? Is it happiness? Is it love? Is it enjoyment or success? What is it? Um, I would say uh, in my 20s, throughout my 20s, I was optimizing for navigating my feeling of uh, insecurity. Just making sure that there is enough in my life that counterbalances it. Um, and it wasn't until it wasn't until later that I started getting to know my insecurities more directly and getting to learn and understand them directly instead of trying to manage them by doing something else. And today, um, uh, today, uh, many of them, many of them uh, uh, remain. It's just I'm slightly more comfortable with them. Uh, but I'm, but today I'm also optimizing for doing work that gives me that gives me joy and feels aligned with uh, who I am. I remember um, uh, just. Uh, uh, a couple of months ago, when uh, you and I uh, were at an uh, offsite um, of a senior management team at the uh, court, uh, I asked uh, at some point I asked you what would be most uh, uh, helpful for me as a sorry from me as a coach and a uh, facilitator, and you said just just be yourself, and. At that offsite, I felt like I was doing my best work, helping the team to find alignment and be heard and uh, reach conclusions and general, generally have a productive conversations. In those moments when I wasn't really trying to do anything, I was just being myself. And these moments of alignment of just being myself and at the same time knowing that it's beneficial for others and being paid in the process uh all of all of this just uh feels like a magical combination it doesn't even feel like work it's those moments when uh this separation between life and work disappears it's just me being in the world is deeply satisfying beneficial for others and uh works in a way that um, enables me to call it a profession uh, and pay the bills. And the way that I asked that question was almost looking to the external, uh, like these kind of emotions or, or, or kind of specific feelings of kind of happiness or love or enjoyment or joy or, or success. 
but in some ways what you're saying is it's not those pillars necessarily but it's this intuitive ability to enact our true selves and whether in that moment it's happiness or whether in that moment it's enjoyment or whether in that moment it's success because there are so many multiple parts to ourselves we can never at one we can never say we just want to go with this type of thing forever it's it's more that we need to enact how it feels and what we want to optimize for in that moment and be aware of what's happening in in every moment and be present to it and um and um and know how to express it in a how to express it and how to do it in a skillful and uh, helpful way how do you balance that with a whereabouts you're at in the stage of your working life because if you're at a latter stage you have a a greater foundation to be able to to draw upon you have more experience to draw upon but in your earlier days it's kind of a catch-22 it's kind of an existential problem existentialism problem it's like i don't have enough information here to be able to make this decision and that's why at an early stage of uh, our careers it's i think it's such a great idea to just try many things try different things try different jobs try different projects uh, try uh, working with different people. Uh, one thing which uh, one thing which uh, guided me from an early stages of my career was uh, gravitating towards people I wanted to uh, to be like. I remember I was uh, uh, looking for a job as a software developer in my uh, mid twenties and. I was taking every interview I could uh, I could get, uh, even if the company didn't look particularly attractive, because I saw it as a practice. So if, if anyone wanted to interview me, I said, "Yep, okay, where uh, when I uh, when I can uh, show up at your office." And uh, one day, a recruiter called me and uh, suggested I go f- uh, uh, for an interview at a small internet marketing agency in Camden, which didn't look sexy at all. And the only reason I said yes is because I said yes to everything as a policy. And uh, I remember going there thinking, I'm only going there to get some practice, some uh, some interview practice and uh, maybe learn something new. But when I left, uh, and it was half a day of interviewing with five different people, when I left, I remember leaving with the feeling, I don't care about what they do. I don't care what internet marketing is. I don't care how it works or what my exact job is going to be but i want to be like those people there is something special about those people who interviewed me and i want to be like them and i want to learn from them and joining that company uh, turned out to be a brilliant decision i learned so much over the next few years that i uh, that i stayed with them and i did learn i did learn a lot from uh, from those people that i met there how has learning and education influenced your choice of work besides that moment it's interesting that my choice of work um, has 
when I think when I when I think about the choices to change my career, specifically to leave software development or to uh, step down as a CEO, uh, these decisions have mostly been influenced by forces outside outside work. I felt like sorry, outside the um, formal education uh, uh, settings uh, setting. I, I felt like school and university prepared me reasonably well for the initial stage of my career. As in study computer science and go get a job as a software developer. But when it came to okay, what's next? Do I want to and even if even if I stayed within technology as a software developer, there are so many different choices. Uh, there, I think from from my mid twenties onwards, I was guided mostly by people I came across or things I uh, learned uh, elsewhere. For example, uh, Paul Graham, uh, founder of uh, Y Combinator, uh, was a huge influence on me uh, through his. Uh, we never met in person, but he uh, uh, he wrote dozens, if not hundreds, of brilliant essays on. Uh, entrepreneurship for early stage founders and I remember reading them and thinking this is the kind of work I want to do and kind of people I want to uh, to hang out with and uh, effectively his online blog his website um, uh, was the influence that pivoted my career uh, towards uh, entrepreneurship or towards startup, the startups more specifically. And it's interesting that the company that you founded was also focused on education. <laughs> that was so unexpected. I would never have guessed that I would start a company focused on training and uh, education. Uh, if anything, at the very beginning, I didn't really, I didn't really think I would. Uh, spend a decade of my life uh, building it. I saw it as an interesting opportunity. I saw a demand on the market. Uh, it felt uh, relatively obvious. It was worth a shot. And so my co-founder and I decided to give it a shot. But once we started actually building it and uh, training people and placing them uh, into jobs as uh, software developers, I think what I learned at that moment is that the experience of helping people to change their lives in a meaningful way is somehow deeply, profoundly important. And I realized that for me, the company is not about uh, revenues or an exit or uh, any other conventional metrics. Uh, what I love about Makers and why I was building it year after year was that we're helping people to change uh, their lives. And when we saw the feedback from our uh, students, time and time again, they were using the very same words. The experience of going through Makers was life-changing. I had a job I didn't like, now I've got a job I love. I'm paid the same or more. I'm doing much more interesting uh, uh, work. I'm um, excited. I've got. I see different uh, uh, prospects. I learned how to learn. I learned what I'm capable of, and 
this experience of helping others to transform their lives was also, I think, one of the one of the experiences that ultimately led me to uh, coaching. Because in a way, I'm still in the business of uh, helping people to change their lives, except that uh, instead of running a, a training and recruitment company, uh, I'm now working uh, one-to-one in a much more uh, much more focused and, of course, a slightly different way with, uh, with my clients. When you look back, I mean, some ways as you talk there, it seems like, goodness me, that pattern makes sense. The story looking back, you can connect the dots. What decisions have you made in retrospect that you think have had a negative effect on the work that you do? And how have you then attempted to overcome them? One decision that I, make, that I made implicitly was uh, not investing enough in my own uh, uh, personal and professional development uh, throughout my career. It's, I think I, especially when I was, was uh, um, building my business, I was spending nearly all my time on execution, trying to work hard and do my best, uh, as opposed to learning how to do better work, be more efficient, and maybe focus on more uh, important things. So looking back, I wish I uh, spent more time on uh, reflection, professional development, external um, uh, external input. And today I'm trying to do all of this by taking courses, working with uh, the coaches, supervisors, therapists to basically I'm allocating it fairly significant part of my uh, time and attention to uh, uh, reflecting on how I do what I do instead of just um, instead of just doing it uh, all the time. Um, one other decision that I often think about is uh, is that in twenty. 17, I think. I think it was 2017. In 2017, um, the business faced a very, uh, what felt like a monumental decision, whether to shift from a B2C market to B2B market. We started working with consumers directly, but over the first few years, we realized that we don't really understand how to build a business purely in the consumer space. And the only viable path that we could see towards growing the business, uh, advancing on our mission and uh, building a, a, a really good company was uh, refocusing on the B2B uh, sector. And this decision made um, a lot of business sense. Uh, and we made it, and I'm glad we made it. But. Back then in 2017, I was acutely painfully aware that this is the point when the direction of the company is starting to diverge in some meaningful way from my own my own personal mission, my own authenticity, something which is deeply important to me as a founder. And I felt like I was trapped in an impossible situation of um, either 
I take the company in the direction which makes sense for a company, but doesn't feel fully aligned with me, or I take the company in the direction which is fully aligned with me, but I can't really explain how it will lead to uh, to a uh, to a successful and uh, profitable business. And uh, I back then I. Uh, back then, I effectively and quite consciously decided to ignore this disconnect and focus on building the the company focused on uh, enterprise services. Uh, but uh, what I wish I what I wish I'd done at that point uh, was to maybe reflect if reflect more deeply if. Uh, I was uh, the right person to lead the company in uh, that direction. So in a way, I combined two questions in one, uh, business pivot and my uh, personal role. And uh, looking back, I think I could have separated them. It makes me think about uh, when it became clear that there was a moment in time a couple of years ago with Cord where there was a decision to make about who could use it. Is it just the very best people that you could possibly imagine? This top 10% that we put on a pedestal in this exclusive club? Or are we getting Cord to as many people as we possibly can? And... It was an extraordinarily difficult decision and one that feels like there's lots of parallels because from a business point of view, companies only want the very top people. Uh, But from my own point of view, that's not why I'm doing it. I care deeply about more people around the world doing their best work. I don't want to minimise that number. Um, And in a similar way, I feel we decided to do the opposite and make sure that we set a threshold that was uh, as low as it possibly could be. So you have to already have experience doing the jobs that you, uh, that you are talking to someone about. Um, But in an odd way, that experience also gave me so much because it helped me really deeply reflect on what it was I could kind of feel that, like, this doesn't feel comfortable. Like, why don't I like this decision? What is that? Yeah. And then over time, it's it's really been a gift because it's enabled me to think, okay, well, what is it that wasn't satisfying then? Why, why wasn't that decision really obvious to me? And in some ways, the reason why we're talking now is because there are so many other obstacles to being able to find your best work. You need access to a decision maker, but you also need to understand the psychological barriers that we put on ourselves. And you can learn from the journeys of other people. And there are there are, there are so many parts to it. And by making sure that barrier was really clear and we were open and transparent with every user who wanted to use cord and we made everything up front and by leaning into our broader vision it somehow i was able to find that route um 
I so deeply empathise with that decision because they're so extraordinarily difficult. And this is why you're a better founder than uh, than I was. <laughs> you navigated it. You navigated it by finding a way that makes sense both to the company and you personally. Why didn't you spend more time on your personal development, Evgeny? It's an interesting question because um, on the face of it, I had excuses like uh, there is work that needs to be done and it feels like a luxury to do it while uh, my team is working really hard or while I'm deprioritizing it or maybe it looks and feels expensive if um, I'm talking about coaching or going on a a leadership course. But these are, but these are uh, excuses. Uh, I think uh, on a deeper level, uh, on a deeper level, I didn't really have the skill of slowing down and reflecting in a more conscious way about what's going on it's almost like i i think i spent my hours days if not years living unconsciously just being carried away by work wake up there is something in the inbox there is something in the calendar i do it with set goals and there is a lot of work that just carried me instead of me uh taking a deep breath, stepping back and saying, okay, no, let's let's pause for a second. Let's stop all this chaos and let's actually ask questions about what, what needs to be done in the first place. And this is a skill. This, this is a skill that I uh, wish I learned earlier. And this is a skill that I only learned when I saw it in uh, other people. It was not something which was uh, uh, role modeled for me in my in my family or uh, or uh, at university. And if I go even deeper, I think uh, there I, I think I can also see uh, some kind of an uh, insecurity around not being a great CEO to begin with, or not being some kind of the right kind of founder to begin with. And I think a part of me was just afraid that uh, trying to do something about it will make me even more painfully aware of uh, how incompetent uh, I am, which then got in the way of actually doing something about uh, professional growth. Um, so, so a combination of um, all this, being carried away, not really knowing how to, uh, how to slow down and uh, not really knowing how to see and, uh, uh, and address my, uh, my insecurities. In what other circumstances have you got in your own way when it comes to figuring out where to spend your time? Because between your your deepest inclinations and your conscious mind, there is you, and you will trap and stop and 
get in your own way and it will stop you doing things or saying no to things that you could have done or or should have done i think it's a it's a a process which continues to uh to this day to this day literally daily i'm watching myself doing what i do reflecting on how it's going and seeing all the ways in which um i'm not um i'm not always i'm not always helping myself from uh small things well relatively small as i probably spend more time reading uh reading news and social media than i uh than i should uh or could yeah uh, uh to uh, to uh, larger things, I've, like, uh, for example, there are areas. For example, there are areas of my life which uh, I suspect could benefit from uh, um, from more attention and more training uh, and more learning that I'm not that I'm not paying attention to yet. And so and so day to day I'm trying to see it, accept it, and also do what I can about it. Also accepting that I will not be able to do absolutely everything because it's an endless it's an endless list. So yes it's a it just it's a never ending it's a never ending process. But um what's what I think what I think has changed over the years is the feeling that instead of being carried by the external world, by my to-do lists, by calendar, other people, clients, and so on, uh, today I am more I am more often able to slow down, take a step back, look at the bigger picture, and ask myself. Okay, these are all external forces that want something from me, and I see it. But what do you, what do I want? What makes sense? In which direction do I want my uh, my uh, life to go? What do I need to pay uh, more attention to? And from this perspective, from this point, I can make much more uh, conscious choices. How have your insecurities helped you? in your working journey i think i'm deeply grateful to my insecurities because without them i don't think i would have moved to london start a company uh, or done uh, or done other things uh, because uh, my insecurities gave me energy to try to do something about them essentially trying to counterbalance them um, and as a side effect, I learned new things or uh, built a company or built other projects. Uh, so it's, it is a bit of a paradox that uh, things that are sometimes so unhelpful in our psyche and things that can be really painful and difficult can also be a source of energy because 
we sense that something is not quite right here and we are trying to we're trying to act and often this action is uh, is positive and beneficial uh, because looking back if i was just more comfortable with myself in my in my 20s would i have built a company maybe maybe not who knows but if i did i probably would have built a very different company and i would have done it for very different reasons it's fascinating that negative things can be positive sources of energy insecurities death and reflecting on death and contemplating death in advance are there any other negative parts of life that you think can be a source of positive energy what's often considered uh, negative is uh, uh, stress but uh, stress uh, is also what's required for a system to uh, grow and become uh, stronger like when we go to the gym for example the reason we go to the gym is to ex deliberately uh, experience some physical stress by lifting weights or running or doing something with the body so that the body could respond by becoming uh, stronger and uh, the, the gym is a I like the analogy of the gym because it's something that all of us are familiar with and we know that okay short-term pain here results in a healthier body uh, and it's also quite obvious that going to the gym is not the same thing as let's say doing 10 years of hard labor where physical stress is quite literally going to kill you but the same is with uh, uh, psychological uh, stress if we are constantly stressed uh, and we feel overwhelmed week after week uh, for a, a long period of time, uh, eventually it's going to crush us. But at the same time, if our life is generally okay and we experience more intermittent periods of manageable stress, we can respond to it by learning from it, growing, becoming more resilient and uh, this in turn will, uh, will make us uh, um, stronger, happier um, in life in general. Oh, it's just so difficult to find the middle ground. It's difficult. I feel like at any point I'm either pushing too hard or not pushing hard enough or giving myself too much time to reflect or not enough time to reflect and relax or it, it in some parts it's so hard because you can feel stress and you can feel relax relaxation but you can't feel the moment with which it's you found the balance that's right for you there's no kind of trigger point that says according to your character this balance of stress and calm is correct your brain never tells you that in a way there is no playbook that gives us final answers on how we should live life we are trying to navigate it all the time we're trying to learn all the time we're trying to figure out what's enough and not enough and where the 
points are, but it's not like there are clear final answers that we just have to discover and then everything will be uh, easy and clear. Our lives are constantly changing. The world is constantly changing. We are constantly changing. And it's a never-ending process of uh, adaptation. We've spoken a lot about what we put into work and what we strive for, what we optimize for, what we're heading towards. But what we've not done is spoken about the opposite, which is our expectations and the role that our expectations play in our working life. I think a lot of us spend time never really thinking about altering our expectations, but instead spend time altering our day-to-day. How do you reflect on work and the expectations that you set for work? One thing which helps me is uh, a yearly reflection practice around the uh, around the new around the new year. I take a few hours, maybe a, uh, maybe half a day, to go through a yearly reflection uh, template, looking back at what happened last year, what uh, I'm planning to do next year, and how it all fits together. It's one of the practices which I found um, quite beneficial to to reflect on where my life and my work is going and where and whether the big picture is still uh, still uh, uh, makes sense. But um, also I also I noticed when I was um, as I've been reflecting on this question uh, over the last year or two is that. Uh, right now, I think about my career and my and doing my best work much less in terms of specific goals and specific milestones, as in build a company of a certain size by a certain by the certain date or make a certain amount of money in a certain way. Instead, I think more in terms of. Um, how closely aligned I am with uh, what I'm doing and what needs to happen. Sorry, how closely am I aligned with what I should be doing and what needs to happen to improve this uh, alignment? Uh, And the answers can be uh, very pragmatic, like be more active on social media, which is why you've uh, you've seen more videos of me on uh, LinkedIn. But the driver behind it is am I doing the work that I love? What do I love about it? What I don't like about it? And what needs to happen to to stay uh, to stay on track? So it's almost like following it follow, following a trail and uh, and making sure that I don't deviate uh don't deviate from it by looking around and listening to myself it's interesting that we spend so much time i mean we've certainly spent a large part of this talking about self-reflection 
but there's a big part to it too where an investment in the complete opposite and a reflection of nature and expectations and the external parts to life is also equally important because understanding those in their entirety in some way can give us a more enlightened view on how we go about meeting the world if if the world is uh if doing our best work is perhaps a meeting of our unique gift and the needs of the world then if self-reflection is enabling us to reflect on our unique gift it would make sense to spend an equal amount of time reflecting on the needs of the world and those around us at that time yeah absolutely it's uh doing our best work is uh is not just about us we do work with others and for others and staying attentive to uh, what the world needs is uh, uh is uh, crucial here um it, the way i see work it's a it's a relationship between me and the world and both both parts are uh both parts are um uh, equally important here because if i'm if i'm doing work which feels pleasant to me but the world doesn't need it or if it even actively harms the world then it's not it's not quite it's not quite right either so again going back to this idea of good work done well for the right reasons how do you distinguish between the needs of the world the needs of other people and then the kind of like the needs of our capitalist society because it can sometimes be very difficult the economy rewards certain skill sets that sometimes might not be what the world actually needs but the system that we live within optimizes for that how do we how do we kind of counteract that do you think that's a that's a deep philosophical question it invites us to simultaneously find a way to fit into the existing system the existing way the world works and change it in uh, in the process and an old quote that comes to mind is that probably one of the most popular in the world is be the change you want to see in the world that's the way to both engage with the world by being the change but also change the world by being part of it in a uh, in a certain way so um in this way i so from this perspective i'm trying to avoid two extremes i think one extreme would be to say uh, no the world is as it is and uh, yes uh, capitalism climate change uh, social inequality injustices all of this exists and is horrible but this is how things are and i can't really do anything about it so that would be one extreme but another extreme uh could be to in my opinion to uh ignore how the world works today and try to fully demolish it to build a better world uh tomorrow this kind of thinking gave us uh, i think quite uh, if you quite uh, uh quite horrible social experiments in the 20th uh century uh but what i'm trying to do 
uh, on a personal level with my life and my work is to stay is to stay in the middle to be a part of the system but have as much awareness and clarity on how exactly i'm contributing to it benefiting from it and how my way of being also changes the entire system uh, uh system for the better so to uh, to make it slightly more to make it uh, slightly more specific uh the way i express it in my uh work in the way i uh, charge my clients is that i effectively have two rates uh, i charge full commercial rates to uh most of my commercial clients and this is a very uh capitalistic uh relationship uh, that enables me to uh, to have a business and work and at the same time I also uh, uh, don't charge anything at all to several of the founders that I'm uh, working with uh, as a way to pay it forward pay it forward give back and uh, uh, support the founders who would not be able to afford my uh, services uh, at that time so instead of um, so in this uh, so in this way I'm uh, I'm both I'm being both part of part of the system while also doing what I can to uh, to hopefully change it uh, change it in uh, uh, maybe in a small way in the grand scheme of things but hopefully in a meaningful way uh, for the people I'm uh, I'm working with and in an even wider context how has nature and listening to nature enabled you to find your best work? That's an interesting question um, because for for many years when I lived in London, I felt like I will never leave London because London is obviously the greatest place in the world. And this is in this is a great city. I, I love London to this day. But uh, then in my in my 30s, uh, I started to notice that I'm spending more and more time outside London in nature when I uh, have a holiday or when I uh, just want some downtime, when I want to reconnect to myself. Uh, I remember there was a one particular stressful moment at work uh, and the following day, I literally woke up in tears at 5 a.m. Uh, at 5 a.m. crying because I just couldn't help, uh, handle the stress. And uh, what I instinctively did at that moment was to uh, book a few days uh, by myself in nature. Uh, I went to an uh, Airbnb in a uh, in a forest and spent a few days hiking, listening to music, reading poetry, and uh, listening to uh, to the trees. And that was deeply restorative. I instinctively reached out to nature when I when I needed it uh, the most. And later, uh, a, couple, a couple of years ago, I genuinely surprised myself when I uh, moved to Portugal from uh, London, more or less on a whim. Um, uh, I came to Portugal on on, uh, on holiday and didn't really think uh, much about it. But uh, uh, having spent some time by the ocean, 
uh, in a small quiet uh, in a small quiet place uh, which is far less busier uh, than London I also felt strongly that I'd like to live closer to nature I'd rather hear the birds rather than a national rail line uh, uh, where I was uh, where I was living in in London next to next to a busy station um, and um, and so I moved to and so I moved to Portugal and not even not even to Lisbon but to uh, uh, to a uh, rural area which which has excellent nature uh, that I find uh, deeply deeply uh, grounding and uh, restorative. Why do you think the, that grounding has helped? What's its what has that grounding given you in your working life and your ability to make decisions about what work you do it helps me to stay present and to remember and to remember who i am there is what i um what i'm what i sometimes reflect on when i look at the stars and the trees and the ocean and just nature around me is that the nature is not trying to get anywhere or be anything other than what it is right now um, there is a poem i can't really i can't really recite it off the top of my head but there is a beautiful poem um, uh, by i think david white uh, that essentially invites the reader to notice that every tree every bird every creature is fundamentally themselves in the moment and if and if it is if i uh, if i don't understand that the tree is not being lost or distracted and it's just a tree in the moment then i'm somehow lost lost myself and just this this felt experience of looking at the tree and quite frankly realizing okay you've been standing here for years and you are just standing here right now and you are not trying to get anywhere and here i am in my life and this is me and my feelings and my experience my life experience and i'm not being distracted by my thoughts thinking about uh next year and in this moment we are both present as I'm listening to myself, I realize how weird and esoteric it all sounds. But all of this helps to, all of this helps me to just remember that the present moment never, almost never, has any problems. All our problems, or what we consider problems, exist in our thoughts, either in the past or in the present. Either we worry about what we did yesterday or we worry about or plan what we're going to do tomorrow. But in this very moment, like this moment, not just this second, but fraction of a second, there is um, usually no trouble whatsoever. And uh, nature helps me to uh, helps me to uh, remember it. Also, um, the energy feels um, very different compared to uh, compared to London. It just feels like in London when everyone walks at 
uh, five miles an hour just by default because everyone is studying or it feels like everyone is studying uh, their day with a double espresso. Uh, I can't help but being but be swept away by uh, by the very same tide, uh, the very same energy. And uh, living in nature just helps me to slow down, take a step back and be more present and more uh, more connected to myself. Oh, there's two bits I'd really love to dig into there. And interestingly, as you were talking about nature and it being a, this, it almost sounded when you were saying it as if it was this thing that was bigger than you that is greater than you and I think that has so many links to other schools of thought and philosophy I mean to take the opposite example you have someone like Jordan Peterson who says get the biggest responsibility you can possibly find put it on your back and shoulder it don't optimize for happiness optimize for fulfillment and your ability to be able to hold this big boulder on your back but in some ways what the two say is there is a there is something if you can anchor yourself towards something larger if you can put yourself in some kind of wider perspective then you can find that route more clearly somehow yeah. i think what you're talking about is uh, our desire to uh, belong our desire to feel not separate but be part of something bigger, uh, be it uh, family, uh, our team at work, society, nature, or the universe as we uh, as we understand it. It's scary and stressful to be to feel separate and lonely. Loneliness kills. Separation kills, and being feeling like we're an integral part of something is uh, deeply, deeply uh, satisfying. Hum as humans, we are we're incredibly social animals uh, because hardly anyone uh, can, can genuinely live by themselves. We all, we're all integrated in uh, one way or another uh, into networks of uh, other people. And uh, we just literally can't survive on, uh, on our own uh, without others uh, helping us. Says an extreme introvert. Yeah, it's, uh, no, but uh, there, is, there are psychological needs, but also there are just physical needs. Who can get all their food and medicine and water and shelter and what, and everything else they need without help of uh, other people? If you drop me in the middle of a forest on my own without any of the tools, I'm going to be dead in about two days, maybe faster. Uh, and so will you. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I think I think I would die faster than you, but okay. <laughs> so it looks like we're talking about even hours, not days. But uh, in the but even if we forget uh, the human to human connection and just feel. Uh, our place in the universe. We also want to be connected to uh, something bigger. And this is where our desire to connect to nature, to, uh, and by the way, also the religion in many shapes and forms uh, comes from. We want to be part of uh, 
something greater ourselves and we're looking to to be relevant and meaningful and somehow integrated into into something uh, something bigger and from a completely different perspective it's not about getting there it's about recognizing that this is how things are to begin with we are already part of this world we are literally made of stardust we are just part of this crazy process we can't even imagine us existing in any kind of meaningful way without being deeply deeply connected to the nature other people civilization society and so on some ways it's the what you're i can't imagine if you had moved from if it's if you'd moved from london to portugal in a different context and you didn't have those insights on the one hand going out of london gives you the ability to get away from the energy that's so high but that's also there's a fear factor there because hang on a minute am i gonna be missing out like there's all this stuff happening like what's going on and in some ways as you spoke through that i was thinking oh my goodness you've you're not undershooting the energy like it is by connecting so deeply with nature and uh the moment and uh that, that you're able to you're almost upping the ante your 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 energies at almost at a higher level or perhaps if you if you didn't have this context in an in another in another world you would be how you would have that fomo you would worry because you wouldn't wouldn't be having gone to portugal connecting with something else that was larger than yourself i'd say it's uh i certainly experienced both there is a heavy dose of uh, uh, fomo as in oh my god there are people in london and events in london and <laughs> and by the way and by the way next week i'm going to london specifically to take part in a uh, in an in person uh, event uh, there is this uh, i i see it and i and i accept it and at the same time there is also um, the desire to work grow and create which is driven not by pressure from the outside like FOMO or the need to have a certain status or um, have something external and hard driving me but uh, as we just as we discussed in uh, uh, in our previous coaching conversations almost like a childlike curiosity like there is this entire world and it's so wonderful and there are opportunities and uh, uh, there is the energy. There are so many things I uh, I'm grateful for, uh, such as the ability to work my experience, my connections, a laptop in front of me, good health, and uh, I've got the plenty of interesting books to read. And if there are so many things that uh, that could be done. How can we How can we do it? And so I think I experience it both as a negative driver, like 
FOMO about what I might be uh, missing out on, uh, but also as a positive, um, as a positive energy that comes not from trying to do as much as possible, but quite the opposite by slowing down and then getting to the point when I feel like, okay, nothing is pushing me to do anything. And from this perspective, what's going to emerge? And something emerges. Instead of uh, watching Netflix uh, for 12 hours a day or, uh, uh, or doing absolutely nothing, it turns out that when I slow down to a halt, something else comes out of it but it, it's a different it's a different energy it's a different uh it's a different quality and um i also realize and this is a massive disclaimer that i that the reason i can even talk about all of this is that i'm i am and have been in an incredibly privileged position of being able after i stepped down as a ceo to uh, move to portugal and take um and take a few months of doing nothing other than slowing down, reconnecting to nature, reading books, taking courses on coaching, again, learning uh, learning and developing myself, but slowing down without any pressure of, okay, how am I going to pay my bills next month? Uh, and instead, just focusing on what's going to emerge if I if I don't force it. As you've spoken through that, it makes me think back to your parents. Mm. How so much of this relies on the ability to be comfortable with being a bit strange, or at least in that context. And I think this is the same in so many circumstances. We, if you're building a, a product a lot of the time, the most, uh, say Mark Andreessen says, like, there's, there's no bad idea, just bad timing. Uh, you need to come up with those ideas that feel counterintuitive. Um, how have you got over the fear of being strange, going against the grain? Uh, I don't think um, I've overcome it, or at least not, uh, or at least not uh, full. And there is a big part of me which is trying to fit in and be like uh, like everyone else uh, uh, in a way which goes all the way to all the way to my childhood not not even my parents but my uh, but my school experience uh, where I felt like I couldn't fit in I didn't fit in uh, and that was uh, maybe not traumatic, but very uncomfortable experience for me as a child, uh, because I grew up feeling internalizing a belief that there is something wrong with me and I'm not okay, others are okay. Uh, and I need to change something about myself to, uh, to be like everyone else. And to this day, I explore this dynamic with, uh, uh with my therapist. Uh, but at the same time, the older I, the older I get, the more comfortable uh, I become with uh, just being myself, and if it looks weird or unusual to uh, to someone else, if it doesn't follow what my 
culture or my society or my parents um, expect of me. That's that's just how things how things are. And uh, in a way, being in touch with uh, myself, my values, what feels important to me at a at a felt sense at some kind of almost somatic level. Uh, it just feels more important than uh, getting a fleeting sense of security out of feeling like someone else approves of uh, what I'm doing. So both both perspectives are very much uh, alive for me. And how do you anticipate your reasons and your inclinations and the motivations that are guiding your work to change in the future that's a great question because i i've got no idea and in the reason the reason i say i've got no idea is because one thing i learned is that uh, people including myself are really really bad at predicting how or how their uh, preferences desires and values are going to change going forward. If you asked me 10 years ago uh, what's going, how I'm going to evolve over the next 10 years, I would not give you the answer that would be anywhere in line with where I am today. So, so one thing is that we, there are all kinds of reasons why psychologically we are really bad at predicting how we will evolve because we can only see uh, the world from uh, our current perspective. And we quite literally can't see the next increase in complexity. Um, and uh, the second reason why I'm trying to remember that I don't know and it's okay not to know is because if I don't have a very specific idea, it gives me space to evolve in unpredictable directions. I, uh, I see it as my, not responsibility, but maybe responsibility, uh, my responsibility to myself to grow and develop, and I don't really know where it's going to, uh, uh, to take me. Um, I, I look at older and much wiser people as pointers and guides, and they inspire me, but uh, they inspire me to keep growing so that I could become more myself and express, express myself fully, rather than being like any of them uh, individually. Is there a unique advantage to accepting that you can't predict what's going to happen. For example, like you may increase the likelihood of spontaneity or randomness, or you may build up a network where the network effects of the multiple things that you've been doing as you follow your curiosity can emerge. Uh, yes, and and there is more. Uh, if there is no 
specific idea of how I should evolve, it opens me to possibilities to consider other things. Because I'm not going to say no to something just because it doesn't align with my idea of how things should be. It leaves me open to it leaves me open to opportunity, open to what's happening instead of trying to stick to a specific uh, to a specific path. But another thing is uh, is that uh, our happiness uh, to a significant degree. Uh, depends on us uh, meeting our expectations. And if the expectations are, hey, let's see where my life journey takes takes me and what I can learn from it, it's kind of impossible to fail it. Because life will take me somewhere. I will learn something from it. Something is going to be different and there will be something enjoyable about it. But if I formulate it in very strict terms like, by the age of 45, I should be worth a hundred million dollars or whatever, should attain a degree of enlightenment according to this meditation map or literally anything else, that will confine me by itself. And so as a result, I'm still growing and learning and meditating and uh, reading and training and connecting with others and... um, trying to grow, but more with a sense of, wow, it's interesting. Let's see where all of this takes me. Um, And let's adjust the process on an ongoing basis uh, instead of trying to get to a specific specific destination. Only a rare soul could understand themselves with such clarity and share it with such generosity and uh, thank you so much Evgeny thank you for thank you for the kind words the best work podcast is produced by the team at Cord. I'd love your advice on how we can make sure the best work podcast is having a profound impact on the way we all pursue our best work email me at bennettcord.co. You can also find a transcript of this conversation, insightful video content, and more at cord.co slash insights. Thanks for listening.